Hello and welcome to Property Potential Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Zalkin. Today, I'm with founder of Farm Together, Artem Milinchuk. Artem, welcome to Property Potential Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Robert. Pleasure uh, to be here. Great. Artem, what is your background story? Um, I usually start off with this question just to give some context to our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So I've, uh, I'm realizing now I've been to quite a few places and times. So I was born in Soviet Union in 1984, where it still was Soviet Union, but I grew up in the post-perestroika, the 90s Russia. Um, I went to school and university there. And I worked there for a few years in investment banking. I worked for PwC and Ernst & Young, and I moved to Canada in 2004. And before starting Farm Together in 20, uh, 2018, I was at a pension fund for a number of years. I was at a private equity fund, and I finished a business school in United States as well. And I moved to uh, United States in 2016, uh, working for a uh, B2B marketplace for rescued. So the so-called number two fruits and vegetables the um, called full harvest before starting farm together. That's great. Wow. I didn't realize you had such an interesting, uh, background. What led to creating farm together? What was your aha moment or what were sort of the, the signals that said, you know what, I think there is an opportunity here. Yeah, I can't say there was a particular aha moment. I think it was a series of smaller ah moments uh, from working at uh, this big pension fund and seeing how many different asset classes were actually investable and how many different sources of capital are there always looking for that alpha, always looking for that long-term stable income and um, diversification. On the other side, I saw the... Apologies, yeah. I saw the need for from farmers and landowners for flexible capital that goes beyond just um, the traditional sources they had. Uh, farmers typically can either sell land outright or they can uh, get a mortgage. But um, you know, we're on a real estate podcast, as I'm sure you and your listeners know. There's so many different financing options that exist in real estate most of them are not yet in farmland. So we're looking to bring that innovation and the flexibility of capital uh, to farmers. And um, in terms of, um, you know, farmland, let's speak a little bit to that because for quite a long time, it was, you know, considered a very kind of boring asset class. And until recently, it's actually become a pretty sexy asset class. You know, you have, Bill Gates, I think, is is up there with the largest uh, farmland owners um, in America. Why farmland? What is it now that makes it a sought-after asset class? Um, yeah, Robert, you're right. Uh, farmland has become a little bit sexy, and we don't like that. We love boring because as an investor, you don't want your investments to be exciting. You want them to be boring, stable, invest and forget. Um, but I think it's the volatility and turbulence and unpredictability we've seen since 2008, really, the great financial crisis. Um, we had 2008, we had the pandemic, now we've had the war, 
two wars. Uh, we had the trade war. Um, we had this record inflation. Uh, we had record interest rates. So I think um, we've seen a couple of bubbles pop crypto. People are understanding that you can't really predict the future and a good investment strategy is, as it's been always timeless, a good, well-diversified investment portfolio that has components of um, assets that have long-term potential. And with farmland, there is nothing I can think that has more long-term potential than eating food. Because no matter what happens, you and I are going to eat today, tomorrow, every day. And at the same time, farmland is decreasing in availability. There's climate change. There's urbanization. There is sometimes lack of workers. So there's just, I think, a lot of um, macro events that are coming together. And at the same time, I think people are just getting much more comfortable moving beyond the traditional 60-40 portfolio to real estate, uh, to farmland, uh, to other asset classes. So, uh, you know, as I like to say, um, if alternative medicine worked, it would just be called medicine. So I hope that farmland stops being an alternative investment, just becomes an investment. Sure. And uh, the platform, the Farm Together platform, just briefly describe the, you know, products, the offerings, um, you know, who are your typical clients? Um, what go I know you have a very uh, incredible team at Farm Together that really vets uh, and sources deals. Uh, just give um, an overall kind of paint the picture for us on the Farm Together platform. Yeah, absolutely. So just starting with what the hell is farmland investing and what are you investing in? So similar to real estate, you're buying a real asset, in this case, a piece of land. So you are in all times investing in ownership of the land. This land is managed by our team, which indeed uh, is uh, very experienced, has decades of experience farming, managing farmland. And the management is finding a farmer or a tenant or a farming company that will operate or rent the land. So the land then, of course, pays a dividend typically every year. And the dividend is typically based either on the rent that we receive or the profit from the harvest that we receive. So that's where the comparison between real estate breaks down a little bit, because you as a invest in certain types of deals could have a really good year. So you make a lot of money or you could have a bad year and make less money, but over, over time it smooths out. Um, so you are buying either a share in an individual farm. So typically it'll be a Delaware LLC, or you can buy um, a unit in our more diversified uh, farmland investment fund. So traditional real estate fund, that fund holds multiple properties. It really depends on your preferences around liquidity, um, whether you want to choose your own deals or not. Um, the minimum is higher in the fund. It's 100,000 versus individual deals at 15,000. Um, you know, some people, they have uh, affinity, let's say for apples. So they love, you know, the apples. Some people are looking actually in a more left brain way uh, at um, tax advantages or particular cash yield profile, things like that. From a user perspective, it's very simple. You go online to farmtogether.com, you register. Right now, the offerings are only available to accredited investors. So if you have over a certain income or net worth, you can invest. 
but the process itself is easy. You link your bank account or you send the wire, all the documents are signed online, all your tax documents, your reports, your payouts, all done online. So it really is invest and forget. We made it very simple. Like you invest in stocks, you, know, you buy stock of Apple and it's just there, right? And everything, Fidelity, Robinhood, whoever does for you, Charles Schwab, same with us. You invest in an Apple farm <laughs> and uh, we take everything, uh, we take care of everything. What do the typical returns look like um, on an annual basis? And then also holding time, what's the time horizon on a typical deal? So the net IRR, which is composed of the dividend and the price appreciation ranges from 7% on the low side. And this will be our unlevered uh, lowest risk farms, such as uh, a corn and soybean field. Those are, in my view, better than gold. They have been incredibly resilient in maintaining their value and increasing in appreciation. Uh, we believe they're the lowest risk uh, investment in, um, in farmland. Uh, as you go up the risk reward curve, uh, you'll have deals that are up to 10, 11% net IRR. So after all of our fees and your cash yield there on average will roughly be half or more of that. So this will be uh, your apple farms, your almond farms, your uh, tango citrus farms. We have one on the platform right now. Uh, it's the, the, the tango um, and mandarins, the easy peel, you know, the delicious juicy ones. And the target hold period is typically 10 years, which I know can be a little bit long for some people, but that is because farming, um, while on a macro level, when you build a portfolio is actually fairly stable, individual farms can be, and will be cyclical. So in order to, um, have forecast that we can stand behind, we need to have a fairly long hold period, uh, so that the cycle, you know, the full cycle can be realized in the farm. And the typical deal size and number of investors on, um, you know, an, an average, uh, deal that you put together. It'll be three to 6 million and we'll have, you know, hundred and more investors. That's incredible. Um, what are some of the more noteworthy or memorable deals recently that kind of, you know, stand out as something, wow, I, you know, that was quite yeah. a deal or. <laughs> You know, we didn't uh, expect this, you know, what stands out? You know, it's like with kids, uh, I can't pick a favorite, but I'll just talk maybe about the most recent deal. So this is a California Tango Citrus deal. We're buying it from um, a family that has been in farming for generations. They are incredibly good in farming and they're just looking to optimize, rebalance their portfolio. This deal is off market. It came to us through a relationship we've had for many, many years now. And so we're able to buy it at a good price. Um, and having that trust that the trees that are there, the, the soil were taken care of. Um, so it's just this, you know, boring, <laughs> uh, it's a boring, good deal that has a 10 and a half percent net IRR, uh, forecasted stable long-term cash yields. Uh, about eight, nine percent and really good potential for price appreciation because it's an excellent block with amazing water sources, which is so important in California and farmland, uh, great operators. So it just like checks all the boxes, um, 
and it's just such a great deal to have uh, in our portfolio. You bring out some great points in that, and I like to unpack it. Um, you talk about checking all the boxes. Uh, what makes a good deal? Uh, you have an in incredible due diligence team. Um, you know, talk to me about some of the high level um, ways in which you vet a deal or, you know, decide if, if it's a go or no go. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. We do have a, a great due diligence team to give them a bit of a, a shout out. They all come from large institutional farmland investment funds who worked for large farming companies such as, uh, for example, Wonderful. So if you've seen Wonderful Pistachios or the poem, uh, that's, uh, you know, they come from those uh, traditions and uh, companies. The due diligence process and what makes a good deal. So like real estate, uh, there is that location, location, location. Of course, that matters a lot because you're talking about climate, you're talking about water, you're talking about availability of transportation and labor. So that is all important. And we primarily target areas that are vibrant ecosystems of farming. So we're not buying a farm in the middle of nowhere, although it kind of literally is for some maybe urban uh, folks. But um, it's a farm that is located next to many, many other farms. So what it means is that you have certainty and liquidity in the market. You have a ecosystem of service providers. You have the roads and the ports to get your product out. Um, so everything is there. So California is about 40, 50 billion in ag production, which makes it, I think, the sixth largest country by agricultural production. So it's a powerhouse. Um, you want to buy it at a good price, same as with real estate, and you want to sell it at a good price. So we look at comparables. We The thing about farmland, and this will be maybe surprising to your listeners, but we don't have like the Zillows, the Redfans, the MLS, the Bloombergs. It's a very scattered uh, information field. The So what we do internally, we've built an engine called Terra that is essentially our AI data tool to be able to have those comparables, to be able to rapidly analyze hundreds of farms and quickly decide, okay, this is the best one. Um, so now jumping into specific farm due diligence, soil, uh, leaf, um, trees, uh, weather, um, looking at history. So through the satellite data and using again our um, <clears throat> data tools, we can see if, for example, the trees were not watered properly, fertilized properly. And we can see that in the canopy uh, health in um, the historical satellite images, things like that. Um, it's actually a whole other field that we could dive into. How do you get information in farming? There's so many interesting nuances. Um, but once you have really good comfort with the health of the farm, what's also really important is having a good farming partner. So we will look into our relationships. We'll look at their track record um, and select the right farming partner. And then there's the whole other aspect of legal due diligence, which in farmland, sometimes you go back a century because, wow. yeah, and you'll have those uh, titles that are typed up in like 1912 by someone named Ethel on this paper that should be in the museum and it will describe certain rights. And some of them can be quite obscure. Uh, more than one time we found in the appendix to the footnote in the asterisk that 
oh, this farm actually has certain encumbrance and until you clear it or understand it, you know, you could be buying a, a minefield, <laughs> sometimes li yeah. not literally, but <laughs> yeah. um, so you, that is a really underappreciated part of our due diligence and we are OCD about it. Um, sometimes it makes a deal fall apart. There was a couple occasions where a deal was already on the platform and as we're diving deeper into diligence, sometimes you just don't know some of this requests, they take time. So um, we were, we found something said, look, we, we're going to kill the deal. And our investors, thankfully, were very understanding, you know, like better to kill the deal now than to find out two, three years later. Right. Um, so one day, maybe I'll ask our due diligence team to write a book. Um, <laughs> and there's, there's stories, there's stories I could tell. Yeah, I, I believe it. Um, you're, um, you're, you're tr a true visionary, right? You know, you've created, an unbelievable, <laughs> you've created an unbelievable platform to access, um, really deals that aren't or weren't accessible to the average investor just a few years ago. And now you've made it seamless, very user-friendly. Um, you're using technology in ways that I think are truly outside the box. I'd love to explore a little bit and learn from you, where are we headed? You know, what with all of what's going on, what are some trends that we should pay attention to? What's some technology, you've already mentioned AI, mm -hmm. that, you know, can't be ignored? What, what does the future look like? And then we're talking about, you know, investing in general, world in general, or just sticking to farmland. Yeah, with, uh, with, everything that you're doing right now, mm -hmm. um, what stands out? I mean, it could really be from any of those, but what is something that's, you know, may not be on somebody's radar that is, you know, going to be important in the future? Yeah. So one thing that is really interesting to me personally and professionally is um, the certain I feel like there's a lot of anecdotal evidence. You go on Twitter, you talk to people that our food in the US is like decreasing in flame flavor and in nutrient density. Um, I've heard so many times from people traveling to Europe, to Latin America, to Japan, that they'll have less, everything will be very flavorful and they'll get up from the table feeling satiated. Whereas here it'll be big portions and it just feels like nothing is quite filling you. Yeah. Um, so my theory is that it's something to do with our soil and there's a big movement in farmland um, called regenerative agriculture, which is a kind of catch all term, but really it stands for how do we sustainably farm in a way that enriches the soil, the local ecosystem, and uses fewer inputs. And so you, as you can imagine, it's, a, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, not to confuse it from something that's organic. Are you saying that regenerative farming is more about the soil and less about how it's farmed or what's the relationship between the two? So organic farming and regenerative farming, they certainly overlap, but okay. with regenerative, uh, so organic is a very specific set of standards Right. Uh, for example, you can't use, uh, you know, a number of uh, pesticides and things like that. Um, in regenerative, the focus is more on, yes, to some extent, the soil, the trees, 
um, but it's kind of a longer term focus on the input. So that's where the confusion comes in and even we in the industry sometimes get confused. Um, it, it's, I think regenerative is focused more on the soil and the farm itself, whereas organic is more focused on the um, end output and how, <clears throat> how, you get, how you get there. So you can, in, in organic, you could still till the land. And when you till, what happens that the carbon gets released. But as long as you didn't spray some you know, uh, chemical, you're fine. Whereas in regenerative, you don't till the land. You use cover cropping. So there's more this um, kind of keeping the soil and the overall vitality of the farm, if you will, um, for long term. And are you at Farm Together working at something towards regenerative farming? Or is it something we that are. you're incorporating into? I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we actually just finished this um, report and out of uh, the six and a half thousand acres we have under management, 4,000 uh, of them use one or more of regenerative practices. So, as I mentioned, uh, on one of our farms, and you know, this is a great example, um, I'm just going to pull up a bit more information. Uh, so, this is an organic uh, farm but it also uses regenerative uh, practice. So this is our Vista Luna vineyard. So it's an organic farm and it's vineyard. Uh, but we have incorporated sheep into the ecosystem. So the sheep, they naturally, as they graze, suppress invasive weeds and vegetation. Uh, and so it improves the overall soil health. And also we don't need to be spraying a bunch of stuff to kind of keep the no biological pressure down on our vineyards. So this is a great example of practice uh, on our pistachio uh, orchard. So the um, uh, what we do is we plant cover crops, uh, which enrich the uh, the soil. They prevent nitrogen runoff um, and uh, deposit uh, kind of beneficial uh, matter into the soil. So those are like two uh, great example. Uh, you know they feed the bacteria, the earthworms. Um, yeah, if, you know, if we had kind of a screen share, I could certainly you know, show it to you and your listeners. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's super interesting. And I bet it's something that most folks that are certainly investing in farmland certainly don't think about. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people even in the industry that um, it's probably not, you know, front of mind or something that's, you know, they're consciously thinking about. Um, yeah. That said, um, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, Farm Together and where you'd like to see Farm Together in five or 10 years from now. Um, the longer term, bigger picture. Um, what does that what does that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first, from the investor perspective, we'd like to expand our offering so that it's available to anyone, even if you have only 50 bucks to put into it for now, we want to make it available. At the same time, we will also want to solve um, this question of access to large institutions. So, for example, there's big pension funds um, that I think could benefit tremendously from investing in U.S. farmland. Uh, Things like, you know, the firefighters pension plans and uh, policemen, the teachers. So there's a lot of this uh, in, the, in the States. Uh, and right now, 
for a variety of reasons, they cannot access it well. And that's because the market is very fragmented, the farmland market. So how do you deploy capital scale? So this technology I described, Terra, over the five, 10 year period, it will allow these investors to um, be able to invest in, let's say, 100 farms, which if it's 10 million a farm, that's a billion. That's actually not that much for someone, like, let's say, CalPERS. Um, from the uh, market's perspective, we do want to expand globally, uh, farming, um, you know, different regions, different climates uh, produce different types of crops. We want to give investors exposure to a lot of different crops. Um, we would like to also invest in water sustainability and conser conservation, uh, as well as timber, potentially aquaculture. So broadly what's called uh, natural assets. Um, there is this kind of broader nature-based um, nature, uh, nature -based solutions and uh, nature-based asset classes. So it's important to invest in them. Um, and then it's just, honestly, it's bringing uh, creative, innovative, flexible capital to farmers, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter the land, right? It's the farmers that make it happen so that they can grow their business uh, we can help them transition it to the next generation. That's a big issue because most farmers are now approaching average age of 60, a lot of them are 70, 80. So there is, a, you know, how do you transition to the next generation? And then, of course, uh, making sure that all our farms are confirming to the sustainability standards that more and more of them are farming regeneratively and organically. With regards to uh, water, which you had mentioned uh, a minute ago, um, we keep hearing that there's a, a crisis in our country for mm -hmm. water, that uh, water becomes a bigger and bigger topic. Um, you know, there's more of a scarcity a, around it. Um, with regard to investing in water assets, um, how complex is that? And do you see any, any, I guess, solutions to solve our water crisis? And I, I realize that's a, <laughs> That's a that's a big ask or a big question, yeah. <laughs> but giving it some thought, um, just from your background and constantly, you know, creating and innovating. Love to hear you know a few thoughts on that. Yeah, um, yeah. Being very humble about this big problem, and we deal with water to some extent, but it's mostly farmland. I mean, one, it's. Um, proper pricing of water, understanding how much it costs. Uh, but that does not mean that uh, regular folks need to pay more. I think there's tremendous inefficiencies in how we manage our water. And so solving those inefficiencies, it's recycling, reusing, cleaning the water. Um, it's also been um, understanding of the big kind of givens in climate. No, Arizona and New Mexico, they're just not going to have as much water. So either you invest into water canals and that's fine. You know, the states or the cities can do it and bring it from somewhere else. Or you just live somewhere where, where there is more water. Pacific Northwest, for example, the Columbia River is incredible. Um, I think there's some potential in desalination, especially as energy gets cheaper. Um and, uh, you know, California has been excellent in, uh, I think, this regulation around what's called Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, which is gradually 
incentivizing farmers to either grow uh, more water efficient crops or higher value crops. So California still grows like alpha alpha, right? Uh, that can be grown in a lot of different places, very water inefficient on a per dollar basis. Um, almonds are actually incredibly efficient on a per dollar basis when you think about water. So they're not like we hear all oh, almonds use too much water, they're fine. Um, and um, I think climate change, of course, right? That's going to be, but that's a, like a global problem that right. that's takes a, that's a, to solve. a conversation for a whole nother podcast. Yeah. yeah, uh, not, yeah. <laughs> before we, before we go, um, you know, I usually ask this question last, you know, if you were to either give yourself, you know, some advice um, as a younger person, or maybe mm -hmm. give some advice to somebody now that's just kind of entering the field of, you know, real estate or finance, um, would love to hear, you know, some, some of your words of wisdom. Yeah, man. Well, you know, still quite foolish, but, um, I think it's identify some fields, uh, that really speak to you professional, uh, we'll just speak professional and then spend some time in them. And then once you find the field that you like, just stick with it and focus on it and get better and better and better. Cause there's too many people that are jack of all trades. If you become really good in your area, then success in all its meanings will follow. That's fantastic. I think we'll end on that note. Artem, I really appreciate you coming on to property potential podcast. Would love to have you on again. Um, I think Absolutely. what you're doing is extremely fascinating. So, uh, appreciate our time together. Thank you. Thank you, Robert.